Welcome to Jelle Mensa exploring cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. Jelle Mensa is a ministry of Isabombano, Center for Biblical Justice. I am your host, David Kluter, and with me is once again my man, John Skippers. Hey, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Good to be with you again. Wonderful, wonderful. Guys, today we have with us Dr. Vaughn Stannard from Beautiful Gate uh, for our second part of our series uh, on not all viruses are equal. Uh, before we get into Bondi, we just want to give a, a shout out to everybody. To Hi, our- everybody. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, David and John, for having me on the show. That's uh, um, a pleasure. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. So we have we have Dr. Vaughn in the studio from from uh, from Beautiful Gate, well, uh, studios. <laughs> uh, again, this is our second part of our series. Not all viruses are equal in which we are reflecting on the impact which uh, the COVID-19 or COVID-19 could have on communities which are already suffering under the impact of long-term structural inequality and the legacy of spatial apartheid, as well as reflecting on uh, the role which the church in particular could play both during the recent crisis as well as the long-term crisis of the prevailing legacy of structural inequality around the issue. Uh, around the issues such as housing, uh, sanitation, and spatial apartheid. And finally, we are hoping to connect with you uh, or to connect you with some people and organizations who are not only engaged in particular efforts to combat uh, the immediate crisis of, of the virus, uh, but who have uh, proven a proven track record over many years of working on both uh, alleviating the effects of as well as dismantling the legacy of structural inequality and spatial apartheid. So, uh, man, that's, that's just that's just a lot there, but, there but, but it's, it's, I think this is right up where the conversation needs to be had right. uh, because I think everybody is having the conversation, but uh, not everybody is having it on, 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 this, on this sort of platform because there's so much going on and everybody's just thinking of self-preservation. Not a lot of people are thinking of the other and when they're yeah. thinking of the other, it's, it's very far removed and it's even not even on the, on the topic of, of justice and right. particular biblical justice. Uh, just as a note, everyone, due to uh, social distancing, um, this podcast is being recorded remotely. And so uh, Dr. Vaughn is not with us in studios, as I hinted <laughs> earlier. Uh, he's not with us in the studios. Uh, and we are doing our best, therefore, to maintain uh, the technical quality of the podcast. But please just bear with us. Um, if there's any sound or technical issues or difficulties, uh, our guys from Exilic will be working very hard in trying to. <laughs> We're going to give them sort, a hard time. Yes, it's just just sorting out, sorting out that stuff. Well, they give us sometimes some hard uh, hard times about ours on our side. But, yeah. but praise be to God, we're all Christian and we trying to work and do our best oh. at, at at the situation. Uh, yeah, coming back to you, Doctor Vaughn. Um, man, just welcome to Yellow Men's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so why don't you tell us a bit about uh, yourself, about beautiful gate. Uh, where you work and also uh, the community that you work in. Yeah. Well, thanks, David. I mean, um, I was born here in Cape Town, uh, married with a beautiful wife and uh, two wonderful boys. Ben uh, is 17 now and Ethan is, is 15. I live in Pinelands. Um, and initially I qualified as a, as a medical doctor and became interested in serving children, mostly suffering with HIV and the effects of poverty 
while I was working with the pediatric unit in, mm. in, uh, in a government hospital here in Cape Town. And uh, I found out about Beautiful Gate and I joined them about 20 years ago. as quite a, quite a young doctor, very inexperienced, um, and just passionate about assisting them with their HIV and their hospice care program. Wow. Um, that was before we had an HIV clinic. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so ministering to, to orphan children, to children, you know, from mostly the communities around Crossroads, around Lower Crossroads, Philippi, that area, the, the township area is close to the airport here in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, you know, I was demoted. I became the director there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, that, that lasted about 12 years. Um, sure. And in that time, we, we continued to try to find ways to serve the community Wow. And to strengthen the community and particularly to strengthen the family. Um, sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very glad I've handed over to a wonderful new director now, mm-hmm. uh, Mana Kuela. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. well. Yeah, she, uh, she grew up in the area, I think, you know, and um, yeah, she's, she's served Beautiful Gate a long time and, and she's an amazing new leader. Mm-hmm. So I'm passionate about justice and, and mercy and I'm passionate about finding ways to help vulnerable communities you know, experience that sort of that transforming power of God's love and purpose. I think it's kind of grown for me as I've served there. I think initially I went there as a doctor wanting to save the world. Um, but that kind of, it's grown for me into a justice, a justice vision, right? Um, you know, sort of aligning with beautiful gates vision, um, you know, which is also, you know, beautiful gates vision is, is to, is to really believe for, for a community in our city, um, where justice and mercy prevails, you know, that supports strong families to raise thriving children. Um, because I think that, that that vision is not a city-wide vision. You know, I think it's yeah. segregated in certain spaces. It's possible, but it's not possible everywhere at the moment. And we need to yes. reimagine that. Yes. A beautiful gate itself, um, you know, we have four, four main sort of focus areas. We, family strengthening is one of them. Came out of the children's home era, uh, we no longer run any, any institutional children's homes. We actually focus all of our, our family work on, on helping vulnerable families and families in crisis. Mm. Right, uh, right. Mm. Yeah, they're trying to, trying to make sure that, that kids can stay in family. We believe God yeah. made kids to be in family and it's created family to support one another and, and it's the fundamental building block of society. And society, so, yes. But yeah, yeah. To, you know, we need to keep strengthening what, what God has created and, and the way he's created it. And so that's our, our key, key focus. And, and there's things that attach to that. So in order to have healthy family and strong family, you don't just need social workers and, yes. and, and people, um, you know, helping orphans to stay in family and reintegrating families. You also need good health services. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Been very lucky and, and grateful to partner with the Department of Health for the last um, 14 years and working in an HIV clinic in, in Crossroads to be able to hmm. ensure that the HIV services, you know, can be where people are. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. they have access to them. And so that's focused primarily. We run the, the pediatric and the adolescent care uh, in, that, in that clinic, you know, in conjunction with the, the Department of Health. And that's, that's uh, I think, a very valuable way of making sure that, you know, services that the poor need are where the poor are. Well, that's yes. brilliant. Yeah. I think that's something we need to keep focusing on. Yeah. And then... And then education, of course, we all know the, the situation with the inequality of education in our yeah. country. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the, the relative privatization of our public school system. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we focus on, on nine school partners in that area. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. See how we can support those schools to, yeah, to be able to improve and to strengthen, provide you know services to the yeah. kids and improve education. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, the thing that I focus on is is at the moment is mostly on collaboration with community stakeholders and right ward, mm-hmm. ward councils, the, the ward forums, other nonprofits, churches, and, and government role players. You know, looking at the big picture of how do we actually work towards creating a, a safer, healthier, more just city, right, uh, yeah. you know, for, for all families, really. Yeah, that, so that's kind of the, the, the big picture of where I'm at. And sure, yeah. Forget that. I think maybe it's a bit of a market. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. going on, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, no pun intended, beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, this, I, I mean, when I think about all the stuff that you're saying, it, what comes to mind for me is just, this, 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 we, we recently had an interview with Dr. Carl Ellis, and he, mm. he just he just breaks it down. And in one of the pieces he writes, he says that people are are, are, are broken sinners, and broken people make broken families, and broken right. families make broken communities. Broken right. communities make broken societies. Broken right. societies make broken systems, right. and broken systems keep people in bondage, physically, social, and sure. spiritual. Sure, that's great. And this is the reality, he says, of our fallen world. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what actually, from a, from a Christian, uh, you know, uh, worldview or framework, what he actually says, what exasperates that is also that there's spiritual forces that, uh, that just manipulate all of that and just brings down uh, the, the, the social impact just looks far more greater than we can possibly think because mm-hmm. of that, you know, demonic and, and other spiritual forces that are involved in, in all of this stuff. Right. Hence, we need a, a, a sort of a Christian response that is holistic to all this stuff. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, Vaughn, you, you, you already mentioned that, I mean, you bring a unique perspective to our discussion. Uh, as both a medical doctor uh, by training and as a community development practitioner through your work at Beautiful Gate. Now, how has or, or have you already seen the impact of COVID-19 on the community that you work in? And perhaps more specifically, what do you foresee as the potential impact uh, medical and economically uh, and potentially socially uh, yeah. that the virus may have on the community? Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, that's a very big question that the country is yeah. right now, and I think one that we're going to be answering in the coming weeks. Sure. Um, I think what I see in, the, in, in, in uh, particularly in our township communities, is that people are responding and trying to find ways to 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 stay safe and to to practice social distancing. Mm. Um, I think that you know people are very aware of their vulnerability and yeah. But um, you know, I think. How it will go really depends on on how the country, and I mean both the government's response uh, as well as our personal response, right. will, will will play out. I think I think I've been very grateful for the government's response at the you know to date. I think likewise, mm, yeah. very different process. Mm. I'm not sure how you guys see it, but I think mm. they're doing well there, and I think that um, that's to be commended, and we need to keep following their lead. But yeah. it, it's also how, how we respond, you know, how you and I respond, you know, in our mm-hmm. home, in our families and in our jobs and as workers and as employers. Um, there's little doubt that this is going to have a significant impact on our country. Sure. I think potentially from a health perspective, we may be able to, um, you know, flatten the curve. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, if not, it's going to have a tremendous effect on our healthcare system. Right. 
I don't think that our government hospitals are equipped to to manage. Uh, you know, if it, if it does go the way, for example, as we've seen in Italy or yeah, 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 or sure. Um, but also, mm. I think already and almost certainly, it will have an effect and is having an effect on our economic environment. Um, you know, this has begun, and you can, you can yeah. I can see that this effect of um, on companies and on businesses and on the economy and on employment is going to have have a you know disastrous effect for for many months to come. I, I foresee right. that unemployment rate going up significantly. Um, companies, small especially small businesses, uh, struggling to recover. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. And, and having to lay people off. You know, I think mm. that's, a, that's the reality of it. And we. And it's going to be a long time before they recover enough to have the ability to to reemploy and to grow. So, yeah, sure. So I worry. I worry about that. Um, but yeah, I think you know time will tell, and we need to trust the Lord is also with us in this. Amen. Yeah. No man. Um, there's there's this. I got man. There's there's so much there yeah. just in terms of the economic impact in so many different sectors, um, and probably. And it's probably somehow coming from from somebody who's in Christian ministry. Um, another impact, I think, economically is how this has will have on the church, right? And and the role the church plays, mm. particular organizations such as your beautiful yeah. gate, um, mm. who are on the ground. Um, you know, when people when these things happen, it's usually the church that suffers most when people. Uh, you know, withdraw funds and they're trying to take right, care of their families right, right. and they're trying to take care of them themselves. Um, especially this, I mean, this is just unprecedented. This is just, we don't even know how, what this should look like right? Um, in terms of how do we handle this. And so on an on a, on a individual level and, and as, as, a, as a country and as, as, as organizations, it's just unprecedented. John? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, um, yeah, I agree with you. And I think the you know, you know, we're talking about two kind of crises that are almost overlapping. We're dealing with the the original crisis, I suppose, the COVID nineteen crisis and the medical impact here, but then also just the the, the economic, uh, social, and possibly even political fallout of that afterwards could be massive. Um, mm. And I think when we just connect that, and I, and I think this is where you want us to go, David. The next question is just. I think when you connect that to the prevailing and the legacy of structural inequality, um, that's not a new crisis. Yeah. Uh, but it's maybe gonna it's gonna reach new levels. Um, sure. And uh, yeah, so and that has me quite concerned in saying, you know, are is the I mean, undoubtedly, wealthy people are suffering under this and are losing business and all kinds of things. But are the poor going to bear the brunt of this once again in our country? And sure. I think that's what really, that, that's something that is really uh, worrying me. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, Ron, um, what are you, on that, what John just mentioned, what are you, what are the particular issues of, of, the, of, of long-term structural inequality um, which you foresee could influence the impact of, of, of COVID-19 um, and what that could have on our, on our poorer uh, or the poorest and the most uh, marginalized communities. I mean, John, you hinted at it, but but Paul, mm. what do you think, as somebody on the ground, um, what impact uh, that could have on on the people there? Yeah, David, I think it's you know it's the same. 
it's the same issues that we that we know as yeah. Ketons, uh, and as, mm-hmm. as um, people living in, in post-apartheid South Africa. Uh, you know, let, let's start with the simple things. Let's just start with, from a healthcare perspective, let's start with sanitation. Right, um, sure. You know, because this has come Big up issue. before with Cape Tonians, you know, during the world crisis. Exactly. A year ago, you know, there was a spotlight that was placed on sort of uh, the spatial injustice of our, of our apartheid cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we look at a map of, of any of our large South African cities now, we see the same thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Six Group Areas Act is still very much in effect. Um, people are segregated into um, communities of color, uh, and into communities that have been impoverished by the you know the economic effects of of those forced removals and and um, and group areas establishment. Mm, so, right. uh, wealthy you know live close to the mountain. Yeah, uh, you know predominantly white, uh, and our coloured and our, our black neighbours live further out of the city mm-hmm. and remain in these sort of uh, environments that have been created by the the, the sort of Favutin Malan kind of uh, era. On the yeah. outskirts, uh, with with very poor shelter, mm. um, you know, social design in terms of community design mm-hmm. and sanitation, and, and, and on top of that, of course, we have we have massive urbanisation. I think our cities right. sure. around around Africa, everyone is urbanising. I mean, that's exactly for, for almost a uh, hundred years we've seen urbanisation happening, and cities just keep growing. In fact, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that almost seventy percent of African cities. Yeah, um, are made up of slum dwellers or, or type sure. of Seventies, and cities are not building proper infrastructure fast mm. enough. Certainly, with the lag of apartheid on South Africa, mm. that counts double for us because we right. are so far behind. Um, yeah. You know, it's very difficult for us to catch up. So, mm. at the moment, if you, if you look at the Social Justice Coalition's stats, right. It came out during the water crisis, and a third of households in Kailicha, certainly in Philippi area, crossroads where we I work, uh, don't have access to water in their homes. Yeah, wow. they will share a communal tap, which is often not necessarily close to their home. Right, um, mm. and at least a quarter of households have no have no flush toilets, so they're using yeah. portable potties, portable toilets, um, and and obviously communal bucket toilets, which which. You know, sometimes you get emptied and sometimes don't. Yeah, sure. So, so the poor local sanitation is a massive challenge. Where right. you know, I think a lot of the the wealthy folks at the moment are running around after sanitizer, and right. so you've got township communities who who don't have the the opportunity to to have basic sanitation. Yes, um, never yeah. mind extra in this time of crisis. Exactly. Sure. Very complicated to. To use a communal tap and make sure that you that it stays clean, it's very complicated. Exactly. Mm. Uh, where you're sharing all these communal facilities, um, you know, with 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 hundreds of people in your community, um, it's very difficult to do social distancing in the yeah. Mm. Um, the the other things that that you know obvious are, are the the spatial injustice of the of the South African city is that. You know, it's left behind these communities which are socially and economically isolated from the the core of the city. Yeah. yeah. But are overcrowded in their local spaces. So, sure. so yeah. distancing in general is very, very complicated. Yeah. People in, in mm. poor communities need one another. They they can't Yeah, they can't that's a great point. Their own home and, and isolate in in, in, a, in a in a three by four um shack with with four or five people living in that shack. It's very right. difficult. 
and beyond that, they need each other in terms of of food security. I mean, yeah, sure, survival. Wow. Need each other to feed each other and to support sure. them, look after their mm. kids. And it's, all of our children are home now from 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 school and and, and ECD preschool. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good decision from a health perspective. It's a very difficult decision and a very um, it creates a lot of challenges from a social perspective. Absolutely. Mm. In, in a city like ours. Um, so, so while on the one hand, I think it's good that schools are closed, on the other hand, it's created a whole another level of challenge for parents and for communities that are overcrowded uh, where they need one another and can't social distance in, in, in that kind of environment. Yeah. Um, yes. and, yeah. and then parents are going to, to, to work. You know, they have to keep, keep uh, income. Yeah, and, and uh, all of our poor communities, you know, transport is only accessible for them in 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 uh, in group in group. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got minibus taxis and trains and and buses. I mean, there's no there's no option to to just hop in an Uber or, or take a car. Yeah. Thirty percent of the country actually mm-hmm. owns a car. So, sure. so we have no no way of actually helping our poor to get to work. Working poor um, to get to work when um, when those are the only transport options available for them. Yeah. In a, yes. uh, schools schools are another thing when it comes to education. I think, as I said, I think it's good that that mm. uh, the schools have been closed, um, but we have to recognise that the support that those children will get um, is very different from school to school. We we effectively have a a privatized public school system um, because what we've done is our system is that the community around each school supports that school. Yeah. And that's yeah. That's good. Works. If you then create a city whereby the wealthy <laughs> congregate in one area, uh-huh. the less wealthy are pushed to the outskirts of the cities to create their own communities with less resources and less support and, and less infrastructure, then mm. those schools are inherently less well off. And yeah, the generational wealth that schools have. Yeah, so a school, a school in Pinelands here yeah, that pulls in thirty million rand a year from school fees is not equal uh, to a school in Crossroads that not even close of one or two million rand from the government. Mm-hmm. So the resources that they can then give to their children mm-hmm. uh, in a time like this, in terms of distance learning and supporting children, right. is yeah. the same. Um, they cannot support the education of those children. So I foresee massive challenges coming with children not being able to finish school. We've seen in other epidemics sure. like this, children, once they stop going to school in a time like this, yeah. many of them will not return to school. That's good. Yeah, that's true. And, um, and that has not been able to be supported. I know that my children after this holiday will get, um, you know, they'll jump onto Google and a classroom and they will be able to get a Google classroom. They'll get emails from their teachers. Exactly. Wow. during this holiday, which is wonderful. And I'm very excited that we're able to attend a school like that. But at the same time, I know <laughs> that my children in Crossroads will not be receiving any other yes. you know, online support because they don't have computers at home and they don't yes. have yes. Uh, internet. So so there's a whole lot of things that children will not receive and, and the gap in unfortunately our education will increase as sure. a result of this, of this wow. epidemic. Um, and then I think we, we all spoke about it, and I think that's the big thing that we all worry about is is obviously the gap in the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, poor and working class citizens just cannot afford to be to be quarantined. Um, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the economic factors at play 
uh, are going to mean that businesses are going to be losing significant income streams and are already losing significant income streams. We see that in the hospitality industry, yeah. we see that in the travel industry, and certainly in manufacturing, there's no way people can work from home. Right, yeah. so those companies, you know, without enough margin, are going to be forced to either keep working uh, on, a, on a no work, no pay basis, right, uh, yeah. or, or risking their staff's health um, and sending their staff home without without a salary. So, so that's that's a complicated issue. That you know, trying to keep the economy going, trying to keep money right. getting into the hands of the poor is going to be you know, increasingly more and more difficult. Sure, it almost feels like either way, the poor are in trouble, and I think it's not a, almost a new. A new thing. I mean, I just been reflecting this week, and it almost feels like the the time to really assist the poor to be able to be resilient in the face of something like COVID nineteen was was ten twenty years ago in actually dealing with the legacy of structural inequality. Whereas now we're just we're. I mean, it almost sounds wrong, but almost reaping the the, the terrible effects of the injustice that already exists. And now we're trying to scramble to find some inadequate solutions um, because we haven't actually addressed the the, the bigger, in a sense, I want to say, not to say bigger, but the, the prevailing crisis that's been going on for a long time, mm-hmm. um, whereas now we feel it's COVID-19, but it's almost like, what do we do now? <laughs> yep. We've created a situation which is almost untenable. I don't, I don't mean, I don't want to be doom and gloom, and but it's just, that's just what it feels to me. I'm like, how do we actually fix something that needed to be fixed 10 years ago, 10, 20 years ago? In fact, it should never have been in the first place, but uh, well, that's another podcast. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, think, I think that's exactly right, John. I think that, you know, we, we end up in these situations with a very merciful response. Yeah. Um, and I think a very Jesus response. You know, the Absolutely. On to the, to the immediate crisis. And I think that's important. I think what we don't often do is think about the justice response. Oh, that's good. Longer term development issues mm. around, and perhaps more, we need to be reading our Old Testament more often about um, structured justice and structured mm. correction. Sure. Preaching to the choir, preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so I think that that's a, that's a, that's a massive challenge in this time. We, 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 we're not looking, you know, we're not looking to the, to the long term. Solutions to why mm-hmm. we are where we are. What yeah. we, what are within our, our philosophy of how we live as Christians and as society is 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 creating these these um, increasing inequalities in our country. Um, yes, and, and unless we start looking there, we're, we're going to struggle with every time we have a crisis. Yeah. Mm. No, man. That's. I mean, there's 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 so much even there to unpack there. I'm just thinking on a, on a very practical level as well, the, the, the number of students at UCT, uh, CPUT right. and different campuses that are, that are told to leave campus, leave residence. Right. Um, and the financial implications that it has on a family who, who earns 3,000 rand a month, yeah. um, and some even lesser than that, uh, some coming from uh, rural communities and those students having to go back there that in itself is a it's a it's a financial strain on the family, right? Uh, but but also just the implications of people, more people moving from the cities and where most of the universities are located, um, uh, knowing that uh, most the, the, probably the people who who have been affected and the areas most affected are 
your white affluent right. communities and people who have traveled and, and that sort of thing. And knowing that UCT has had one or two cases, mm-hmm. uh, the implications of that are those very students uh, then potentially being affected, going back to their communities in the rural areas and, mm-hmm. and it having an effect there, which it, at the moment in the Eastern Cape in particular, in the Northern Cape, it's not, not that not that big. It's, yeah. I don't even think there's in the Northern Cape cases yet. Not yet. Um, but 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 now with with all of this stuff, these things are so connected. These things are so interconnected. But what I want to move on uh, and ask the question of of the church. Uh, what role do you think the church could uh, uh, could play in the immediate uh, climate of, of the crisis um, and the potential impact on our poorest and most vulnerable communities? Yeah, I think I mean as we've been talking now, I think it's it's the it's the immediate is always to 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 look at what the Lord, you know, how he approached the sick and the and the destitute and to to allow Jesus to lead the way and saying, you know, this is his response to oh. the sick and to the destitute was always a merciful response. It was a compassionate response. It was providing care, you know, free healthcare, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, healing and, and love. And, and and his actions, you know, in the moment, in the immediate, when, when confronted with with, with, um, with sickness and illness and, 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 and strife was, was not uh, an action motivated by, by fear. It was not actions motivated by anxiety. And, um, and I think the church should continue to, to encourage people to respond like Jesus. And, and, and it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trusting is God who he says he is, mm-hmm. is God uh, the God who has given us the peace and the freedom to love as he loved. Um, and, and this will obviously, you know, look different in different situations and different communities. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. it's going to end up with people, you know, having access or creating access for, for, for their immediate needs. You know, that, that could be safety uh, for children, vulnerable children, vulnerable families, right. um, mm. freedom, you know, the freedom to socially distance or to isolate uh, their family without right. the loss of security, without the loss of employment, um, mm. being able to access the sanitation that people need, right. being able to access yeah. the healthcare that people need. So when the church responds and needs to think about those things, responding with the attitude of Jesus, which is one of compassion and love and trust that our father is with us, Right. And that all things we're doing, we're doing through the Father, but also, um, you know, not to be motivated by, by, by the fear and the anxiety that is yes. permeating through society at the moment. You know, the panic mm-hmm. buying and the, you know, in essence, what happens when, when a community is threatened, you know, the, the, the wealthy or the strong generally tend to, to hoard and create a situation where they become less and less vulnerable. Sure, that's true. Their ability and their wealth, they're able to do that. So they, they'll segregate themselves, and, and we see that in, in South Africa and other contexts, it looks like higher walls and wow. you know, better, better investment funds. and yeah. So, so we, we tend to privatize things in order to create invulnerability for the few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that does is it creates massive invulnerability then for, for, for the poor. And so we think that by creating greater invulnerability for myself, um, I am actually, you know, uh, protecting myself. Right. But in the bigger scheme of things, we are all connected. <laughs> and, and the Lord is the Lord of the whole earth. And the whole earth uh, yes, is, yeah. is the need of, of support. And we need each other. 
health care is, is, you know, getting health care to the poor is, is as much a priority for me as it is for, for the poor. Because yeah. <laughs> this, this virus shows us that if you want to protect yourself, you have to make sure that your whole city is protected, your whole yes. community is protected, your whole country is protected. Mm. Now, it's the same principle when it comes to economics, when it comes to education, right. when it comes to safety and security, but we don't see it as, as, as such yeah. in those situations because they don't affect us as much. Exactly. I don't mind being privatizing my, my schooling. I don't mind privatizing my... my um, you know, my economics, you know, making sure that everything comes to me, hoarding and extracting from the, from the, from society and from the economy. Um, and suddenly now we have healthcare and we realize, oh dear, if my neighbor in the township is not well, I am potentially also going to be threatened by that. Right. And, uh, sure. I think we need to, we need to recognize that this has always been the case. Yes. Uh, wow. Yeah. In all mm. these things, God wants us to act like neighbors to one another. Hmm. He wants a neighborly economy and neighborly community. And um, so moving towards that right now gives us an inkling of what it should look like in the long term as well. Yeah. Mm. We need to, the way we practice now to prevent spread of disease in our communities, in our cities, um, the care that we have for the common good is something that should motivate us not just for now, but for the long term. Amen. Yeah. No, that's, 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 oh, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. On so many levels, right. and we we don't think of it. I mean, we think of it now in terms of the virus, how that will affect us mm. um, if it affects the townships and the Cape Flats community mm. and the rural communities. Uh, but actually, it is it is it is it is much. It's been much larger than that. Mm. That it's the economics, it's the politics of of caring and loving mm. uh, people within that context of, of yeah. the economic environment. And always yeah. we should have had that, 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 that concern for one another. Yeah. And and what, I, yeah. So I was going to say, is I think um, you, you alluded to the water crisis earlier and I think it's just, it's just a great example of, I think how we, during the water crisis, those of us in wealthier communities, we became aware of the reality, the lived reality of so many of the poor, of just the, the water um, insecurity that was around access to to basic resources and there was a lot of talk there was a lot of i think uh, compassion for that a lot of movement towards that but then it's almost like once the water crisis was was um, was resolved we forgot about that again we we celebrated many of us we prayed we praised god and we moved on and um here we are again faced with the reality that we actually are all interconnected that it means to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves, that this is actually what God requires us, even more so in the church than in just general, both in society we're interconnected, but in the church even so, more so. And um, so I think my, my prayer at this time as well is that as the church, we cannot forget that, that as we move forward, that we would keep the reality of what it means to love our neighbor practically, structurally, in in the in the front of the the mind of the church, mm. um, I'm not sure how we do that, um, but I think we've got to we've got to fight for that because more and more it seems to be um, that these these crises are coming that are actually reminding us of that. Yeah. And as awful as they are, um, do we need to to see God shouting at us? You know, not just for salvation, but actually for loving our neighbor. Yes. Um, mm. Yeah. 
Bon, um, just as a final question, uh, what are some of the really practical ways in which our listeners could uh, assist Beautiful Gate uh, in the vital work that you guys are doing out there? Uh, and not only during this crisis, but during the everyday crises, uh, um, which is our uh, supposed um, post-apartheid city, or which yeah, which <laughs> just comes across and which is there in our faces in, 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 in the light of where we come from and mm. who we are as a people. Yeah. Well, David, maybe if I can just go back a little bit, just to, just to chat a little bit about that, that issue of the, um, the bigger picture. Mm. Um, mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just think that th- th- there's a fundamental need, you know, I think firstly for us to reimagine the way we live mm-hmm. um, in the light of who God is and, and how he's shown us how to live. You know, Jesus kind of summarized all the law and the prophets into those two commands, yeah. love God and love your neighbor. Um, and I think we still fundamentally struggle to live like that. We struggle yeah. to, to, to really be able to identify who, who is my neighbor. You know, it's an issue of how wide is the parish of the church? Right. Yeah. Because, you know, when I say I'm a Cape Tonian, do I really mean I'm a Pinelander? Right. Do I mean that I'm a Cape Tonian? Sure. Um, if our church is a church of the city, is it a church of of, of Weinberg uh, or is it a church of the city? Right. And um, and that idea of, of of advocating for the common good for our neighbour um, is is something we really need to press into as a church on, mm. on a long term level to to not see the issue of what John was saying about the water crisis coming again and COVID nineteen and there'll be other <laughs> there are going to be other exactly. Uh, and crises they're going to, that we're going to face. And, yeah. and the reality is I think God, God is reminding us, you have not done what I have asked you to do. And so you'll mm. continue to face these, these, um, these glaring uh, examples of, 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 of how we're creating this inequality. Um, you mm. know, the questions I, I think we need to be faced by the challenge of how big is my family? If, I, if I'm a wealthy white, white person, how big is my family? Who, who am I concerned for right now? Sure. Besides my blood family, right. am I concerned for people in my in my space, my friends who are vulnerable right now? Mm. Um, and and if not, why not? Do we not sure. have those, those those relationships? So so I think reimagining what it looks like to be a country that is restored relationally and socially, mm. um, because effectively our, our relationships. I think if, if you look at the, you know Robert Linthicum speaks about this, the spirit over the city. And I think the spirit over, over the apartheid city, over the South African city, is the spirit of broken relationships. I think right. that's the key to, to what's happened to us in apartheid. And we need to find ways, long-term ways, to restore those relationships across the city and mm. then reimagine ways in which we can create a long-term sustainability for, for our brothers and sisters in other in other yeah. Sure. We need to recognize that these these structural injustices, the spatial injustices, the economic divides, the, the extractive economy of, of this, sure. this aerotype extraction and, 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 and it creates this, this, um, this continuous drive for more consumerism by, by the wealthy and, 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 and drives the Gini coefficient up. You know, mm-hmm. enslaved people to remain poor and their vulnerability in our city becomes our vulnerability. Yeah. The, the extent to which my neighbor is not cared for is the extent to which I shall suffer. We need sure. to, we need to see God's economy um, 
as as a as a, as a neighborly economy, an economy that cares for one another, and to shift our thinking around around how we can how we can accomplish that, and not to focus our attention on just making ourselves less and less vulnerable. Um, yeah. I, I just think that that's something we need to uh, right. we don't if we don't do that. We're going to continue to um, you know in the old traditions. Of, of our sort of um, very, very uh, extractive, uh, you know, acquisitive, you know, always acquiring things, always consuming, uh, always creating this invulnerability. Um, you know, we're going to continue in those, in those rhythms, as yeah. uh, you know, pushing the poor to the edge, um, you know, in, in creating this, this environment of, of inequality. And, and it's, it's going to be the same next time around. Mm. The next crisis is going to be the same thing. We're going to have a, a huge merciful response. And let me let me say, the church is very merciful in its response. I think the church in general is very merciful. We love mercy. Yeah. We don't like to do the work of justice. No. We don't like to do the work of evening the odds because essentially yeah. justice means that we will we will we will care for our brother as a neighbour. And what's yours is mine, and I will help you. But but to do that for for, for my brother in my city to have more. Oftentimes, I need to have less. Yeah, that's, yeah. And essentially, we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to find ways to share mm. uh, what we have. And I think that's that's a that's a big challenge for us as Christians, particularly Christians in businesses, to find ways to yeah. create a moral guidance and an ethical guidance for our capitalist and our free market sure. economy. You know, we have to find ways to distribute. And to create greater spaces within our city of economic strengthening and, and uh, equality. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Thanks. Again, so Don. Um, man, I, I mean, I, I have one word, and, and Miner will love me saying this: beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah, yeah. now. This is this is this is truly uh, helpful. I think on yes. so many levels, practically, and just for for the bigger picture. Um, and I think uh, what you guys are doing and what I appreciate from just from Isumbano and Yellow Mensa's side is, is, is actually getting people to think about this. And, it, and it, right. it's really, from a person of color, it's really so good to hear fellow Christian white brothers uh, sounding the way you're sounding, <laughs> saying the things you're saying, who was in the trenches and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you guys are doing out yeah. today. So thank you, thank yeah, you, thank you so for much, joining yeah. us and uh, and yeah, just sharing with us. Mm. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thanks, um, man. Just on to your, your specific question around how to help. I think you know. Yeah. You can follow us on on Facebook. Beautiful right. South Africa. Uh, we we've tried to find ways of 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 creating support for community in in community. So we've. Um, We've created a food parcel and an activity pack for kids to do some activities, some learning activities while they're at home. Right. Things with soap and, 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 and educational packs and things like that, and then adding food because we recognize that many people are going to be sent home either on a no-work, no-pay basis or they're yeah. going to be uh, – children are going to be losing the, the one meal a day that they get, get yes. often at the school or the ECD. Mm, that's crucial. We need to recognize that when, when thousands of children go back into their township homes, they lose the food security that they would have got from the education system. Yeah. And, uh, so that we're trying to, to, to support through that. So we're in the process this week of trying to uh, you know, hand out lots and lots of, 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 of food parcels and activity packs, but also mm-hmm. you know, in the same way trying to get our staff and our team home 
uh, many of whom live in Crossroads. So right. a number of our, of our child care workers will actually be, be creating small little groups, uh, groups for our orphans and um, caring for them there. And, uh, and then we will be supporting them with food. Mm. And activities and so on. So, so yeah, welcome mm. to to support us on our website, on our Facebook page, on Instagram, Beautiful Gate South Africa. Uh, there'll be some links there for you to donate if you if you're interested. But mm. also, I mean, everyone, many South Africans, South Africans are very generous, and I think that you know every South African will have uh, be connected to one or other charity. Right. Uh, so, yeah. so look at what the charities in your area are doing. You know what what are they doing? around you and um, and those that are responding in, in a way, providing support, mm. you know, support them to do that. Right. And, um, and, and, and make sure that you, you know, that we, we bless, we bless our city. Mm. Um, and, and, and let's trust that God will give us the courage, not just to bless our city in this crisis, but to actually do the work of ensuring that the next crisis comes around. It's a more equal city. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Vaughan, we would like to promote what you guys are doing. So, listeners, we're going to put all the details in the, below the podcast. We're going to share it on our, our, our social media platforms as well if you want to get involved in just helping yeah. with some of those care packs because we would like to support the work of Beautiful Gate and highlight that this time as well. Sure. Wonderful. Vaughan, thanks again for, for being with us. Uh, guys, you can follow us, uh, as always, at uh, Yella Mensa on Twitter or yeah. Issa Bambano on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, guys, get involved in the discussion. Uh, Lots to feedback. Uh, yes, yes. Give, give us your comments. Give us your feedback. Uh, and if you find this helpful, please like, share it with, with, with friends. Yeah. Um, this audio was produced by Exilic. Uh, music, you can find them at www.exilic.co.za. Mm-hmm. I am David signing out. And I'm John saying we got work to do. Basile Lander, Lever, and be safe, people. <laughs> <laughs>